Listen, open your Bible with me this morning. We're going to the book of Psalms, um, Psalms chapter 12 this morning. There was so much more could be said on this topic, uh, what we're going to be looking at this morning, but I think we'll say enough this morning to um, at least keep us aware of what's going on around us, what we allow to influence us, and what comes into our mind. Propaganda, if you look into propaganda, it's quite an amazing thing. It has been used to steer nations, steer votes. It's used to create wars and end wars. It's pretty amazing, really, when you start to read into um, the role of propaganda. And we're going to be looking at that briefly this morning, where I see a great man of God who there was propaganda, propaganda used to discourage the man, make the man feel that there's nobody else but him. Do you ever feel like that? That where's all the godly? Am I here by myself? It's all a lie. And we want to bring that out this morning through Psalm 12. So our, our title this morning, if you're taking notes, is Satan's Propaganda and God's Truth. Because God's truth will always cause the propaganda to fall by the wayside. Amen. So, Father, as we gather around your, your word this morning as your people, Lord, we pray that you'd bless each and every one of us this morning. Lord, we all are here with many, many different things going on within our life and around our life. And and Lord, I just do pray that you would touch each of us this morning in ways that we never expected. Lord, that you would do us good. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, speak to each of us individually this morning. Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be reminded that you're still on your throne, that, Lord, you still have a purpose, Lord, in all that's going on. And even, Lord, regardless of all the voices that there is around us that seek to influence and lie to us, Lord, we thank you that we have the Word of God. We thank you that we have your prophets right across the land, that your word is still light onto our feet, Lord. And we thank you for that, God, that we're not in darkness, Father. Your word, when it's lifted up, Lord, it leads all men. As when the Lord's lifted up, all men come on to the truth. And Lord, we pray this morning that we would be, Lord, hedged in, as it were, Lord, and that no distraction would come and hinder us, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So propaganda, it's used to try and make people think a certain way. That's the idea behind it, and act a certain way. I'm going to be quoting some unlikely people this morning, but give me grace. I'm going to be looking into the Nazis, just, just minimal Nazi stuff, but if you want to look at propaganda, there's probably no better place to look on what the Nazis did and how they did. They turned a whole nation against their Jewish neighbors. They dehumanized them, and at the level that they, they actually ripped them out of their own homes, ripped them out of their businesses. They, they, they totally annihilated these people and they seen them as firmin. I want you to understand, this was propaganda that did this. They, they, these neighbors were once close friends. They dined in each other's houses. They, they, they were in business with one another, you understand? And because of propaganda, the whole, well, we know what happened with the Holocaust. So that's just to give you an idea, but I want to quote the, a Nazi propaganda minister they actually had a propaganda minister who would do this work for them. His name is Joseph Goebbels. And this is what he said. Now listen to this, because this is something that we can see going on in our land today. He says, let me control the media, and I will turn any nation into a herd of pigs. It's not something. Let me control the media, and I will cause them to act like swine. Pigs in a pig pen. Now you just think... Use your own understanding of what's going on in our land and our world today. And you think of how people are acting, how people are getting on, 
And you consider what the media, the power of media, the power of propaganda, okay? So as I say, there's much more could be said, but I think you're mature enough to just drop these things in and be able to discern for ourselves. So propaganda, it's used to promote a particular agenda. That's the main use behind it, or a point of view. And the, the avenues that was used, used in the war times, for instance, was pamphlets. Was, that was one of the biggest ways. They would drop leaflets out and, and newspapers, biggest, biggest ways of propaganda. Today, it's mainly media. One of the high, is a school curriculum. Schools is also used for agendas. Uh, books, not so much nowadays because not so many people read as such. And there's all these sort of outlets, but medias and schools and books uh, is the main way of propaganda today. Now, it has been proven, you can search this out for yourself, to influence people's opinions and uh, behaviours. Brexit itself is very an interesting topic when we see uh, there, there, there's a documentary on Netflix which looks into it in great detail. Um, Cambridge Analytica, I would encourage you to watch it. Cambridge Analytica goes into great detail with actual people who this, this company was taken by the government and crushed, closed. Tens of thousands of people were, were made jobless because of the influence that they were used in Brexit. And it appears that they were paid big money to get breakfast, or breakfast. Breakfast, right, we'll move on. <laughs> breakfast, we're hungry this morning. The point I want to say is this, that this company through media platforms steered nations to vote. And had they not have been paid to do so, the chances are we would still be united. Now, you know, watch that for yourself. It's true as I'm telling you, that's what it is. It's proven to influence not only people's opinions, but their behaviors. It can turn people against or, or, or again each other or, or to each other. But the sad thing is about propaganda, instead of being used for good, it's often used for evil. I want you to give you another example. Again, I'm going to quote an unlikely character, Hitler himself, but in the context, I'm sure you can understand why. Hitler said this, make the lie big, make it simple, and keep saying it, and eventually all the masses will believe it. Did you get that? Make the lie big. Is there any big lies today? Make it simple, and keep repeating it, and eventually the people will fall for it. In other words, a lie, a big lie repeated, will soon be believed by all and become truth. So propaganda is said to have been around from as far back as Babylon. You consider the Tower of Babel, if you're familiar with Nimrod. Consider Nimrod, how he influenced the whole nation to go against God and to stay and build a great kingdom, a great tower, and a kingdom without God. And who was the king of that? Only Nimrod. And he influenced the people to do that, and we know the story, God stepped in and his will was done. But propaganda is not a new thing. It's a not a new form of control. And in Psalm 12, believe it or not, there's a type of propaganda scene. David, for some reason, got it into his head that he was the last man of God standing among, among the nations. Let us read together. Help, O Lord, for the godly are vast disappearing. And the faithful have vanished from the earth. All the neighbors lie to each other. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. O Lord, may you cut off their flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. Verse 4, they say, we will lie with our hearts. We will lie until our hearts are content. Our lips are our own and therefore who can stop us? And the Lord replied, I have seen the violence done to the helpless. And I have heard the groans of the poor. 
but now I will rise up to rescue them, as they have longed for me to do so. For the Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. For you, O Lord, will keep them, and you will guard us from this generation forever. Amen. For on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the nations. Do you know, after reading that, we think of the words of Solomon. There's absolutely nothing new under the heavens. Sure there's not. We think we've reached new depths, new lows, but what we see within Scripture, it's all there. A man by the name of Al David said this. This is truth. This is, this is something that we need to get into our minds. Because if we understand this, quote, we will understand the power of propaganda. He says, one lie has the power to tarnish a thousand truths. One lie has the power to tarnish a, th tarnish a thousand truths. And there is a thing about propaganda. It uses a lots of lots of wee bits of truths. But there's one wedge, one driving force of a lie that, that causes it all to go wrong. And today, I will say personally from my own uh, mouth, I'll quote myself, I believe that we're fed lots of lies today and lots of propaganda from all media. That's my personal opinion, and I would stand over that. And if propaganda has been used in times past to win wars, control nations, control votes, rest assured, church, that it's being used today to influence nations. Rest assured, a more technical view of it, probably more understanding of it and more influence than we ever could realize today. Now, I think it would be safe to say that one would need to be blind today to be unable to see the satanic influence that's seen on our media outlets. Would you say amen to that, or am I just seeing this for myself? So if you can't see the satanic influence around you, look closer. Take a moment to sit still. Look what some of the things are going on in pop culture, on our documentaries. EastEnders, my goodness, needs to be wholesome. It's, it's, a, it's a pit. And if you watch EastEnders, please don't feel condemned, by the way. I, I realize making these statements can sometimes... What I'm trying to say is, when I was a lad, when I was watching these things with my wee granny, I wasn't taught how to swear, how to have an affair. I wasn't taught how to cheat. You see, I was taught wholesome stuff. There's no wholesome stuff left on TV. Funny, one man says to me yesterday about music, obviously not talking about Rear Messengers at all, but he says he's got that into his head that the only music he's going to listen to now is country and western. And he says, why, friend? He goes, well, it's the only pure stuff left. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't, you know. But I, I get his thinking, isn't it? It's Saturday night, isn't it? No. Anyway, I just want to sing this. I'll not sing this. But we need to be blind if we can't see what's going on around us, church. And, and let us be, not get too weighed down, but let us be smart enough to at least acknowledge it. In Scripture, let's bring it back to Scripture. Satan is an interesting guy, okay? So, and he's presented to us in many forms. We are told, for instance, that he's not just a liar, but he's the father of lies. And I want to say this to you. The moment you feel a lie coming out of your mouth, you understand that it come from him, because he's the father of it. That lie was birthed not in you, but from him, and it can be found in our hearts. The Bible tells us that he's a murderer. He's a counterfeit. He's a tempter of peoples. He's an accuser of the brethren. Look, there's many more. But there's one that always sticks in my mind. Always bothered me from I first heard about this fallen angel. That he's a deceiver of peoples. Deceiver of peoples. Why did that bother me? Because I don't like to think that I can be deceived. Do you? I don't like to know that, you know something, I can be so sure of everything that I'm right that actually I'm being led up the garden path. And, and he says he's, 
at the savor of people. He says he's going to deceive the whole world in the last days. What's he going to use to deceive you and I? It's not going to be newspapers. It's going to be media outlets. When we see all these things taking place, we're going to be watching that prophet in the corner or on our walls of TV. That's where it's all going to be played out before our eyes. But his deception can be seen right throughout the scriptures. His propaganda can be nearly seen in every chapter. But in 2 Corinthians, we see this. The God of this age, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. What we see right at the outside is that he blinds the unbeliever. Before we were saved, he blinded us. We believed there was no God. We believed that we knew better. Everybody else was just foolish. We couldn't even see the birds in the sky for what they were. We were blinded. And he blinds the unbeliever, at least they see the Lord and be saved. And I want to just say quickly this morning, if you're here and this morning and you're not saved, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I understand you not really understand a big pile of what we're talking about, but I want to say this to you. Satan goes to great lengths to keep you from being saved. He'll allow you enough truth, but tell you enough lies to keep you from being saved. Understand? I want you to understand that. The Bible describes him as the author of confusion. God is not. God tells you who you are, where you've came from, what's went wrong, how it can be fixed. It's beautiful. It set my mind, the chaotic heart, straight and right. Where before I was confused, you see. And you understand that. He's not the author of confusion. And if you're not saved, I want to encourage you in these moments just to maybe ask God in your own way to open your eyes speak to you this morning. Amen. But Christian, it's been said this, Satan was unable to dethrone God in heaven, and therefore he tries to dethrone him in your heart. I want you to hear that again. He tries, and he will try, to dethrone God, Christ, in your heart, to turn you away to your own rule. He will use all his power to remove Christ's authority and rule in your life. He never tempts you to do God's will. You're never tempted to do God's will. It's always tempted to do everything else but, isn't it? He will cast up your sins. Why will he do that? Because he's accuser of the brethren. But you need to remind him what the Word says, that Christ has removed your sins. Simple. Remind me all you want, but they're gone. Ah, but you're a sinner, but you're a no. But I've got a great Savior. That's the truth. He will tempt you in many ways. What about the green grass? Maybe there's somebody here this morning you're tempted with the greener grass. I want to say this to you. God knows that he'll tempt you. He knows that you will be tempted. And he says this, that when, when you're tempted, he promises that God will put a door there that you can leave. Think of that. Maybe you're in a position now where you're on the verge of doing something you're going to regret. The greener grass has got to you and you're, you're longed and you've, you're, you're bought into it. Look for the door. As God said, he's placed it there. You can get out of this. He will try and fill your heart with pride. Now, pride is deceitful. We, we can't even see it in ourselves. But one indicator that you've been filled with pride is this, that the word I becomes a word we use often. I. But I. That's a, a sure indicator that, that we've been influenced in a way where propaganda's got it. I this, I that. I want, I need, I. Be careful, friends, of the word I in our lives. It's a sign that that our spirit is puffed up and pride has gotten into us. And the Lord can set us free from these things. And we're all prone to them. He will tell you that few are following the Lord, that you're on your own. Where's all the, the saved? He will cause you to believe that you're alone. And here's the reason. 
If a soldier believes he's alone in the battlefield, what'll he do? He'll retreat. He'll want to go home. In the darkest night, he'll, he'll run. I want you to notice the words of David in, in the first verse. Lord, help me, because the godly are vast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the land. You need to meditate upon that. David got it into his head that all of God's people was gone. You need to understand the state of hopelessness that he found himself in. We read that press on going about our business, but you put yourself in that place. Maybe you're in that place that you just think that there's nobody around you, that, that God isn't even in your life. Where's all these godly people that once walked your path? And this is what David got into his head. And as a result of this propaganda, what's clear from this psalm is that David lost his joy. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength, not the joy of this world, not the joy of wealth, because it brings burdens and hardships. But there's a joy that comes only from the Lord. And he becomes consumed. And here's the problem. All he can see is what's going on around him. That's all the enemy wants you to do. Focus on what's going on around you and all the brokenness. And he becomes consumed with this. And you know what I noticed? If you watch too much TV, you'll find yourself doing the same. You'll be filled with the curves of this world. You'll be weighed down with the vast hopelessness of what's going on around us. Did you ever feel like that? When COVID first began, we were in the middle of getting a bathroom fitted. There was two men, I think I've told this before, but I'll tell you again, there was two men tiling in our bathroom and the rush was on to get the job finished. And this man in his mid-50s came in and he was a, a big workman, a big, a big culture type of man. And you wouldn't have thought you could have steered him with a grape. And he was trembling on the floor and he was getting argumentative with the other tiler. And, and I says, you all right? I don't want to be here, he says. I was shocked at the, and he was clearly distraught and I, what's wrong with you? This thing going on, this virus, this, that, I'm going, you know, shouldn't be here, should be laying, you know. He'd sat, he told us he sat all night watching the news. And I'm telling you, friends, his mind was gone. His mind was gone. All he could see, that's the power of TV. But what we see is David, all he could see, what was going on around him, his eyes had shifted from the Lord. This is David, God's man. And all he was looking toward now was all that was going on around him. Now, church, don't focus on the world around you. You'll keep your eye on the Lord. Keep your eye on him. Don't get focused on what's going on around us in our world on the TV stage. We're being told what we want to be told, what they need to be told, and it's never positive. Now, Satan got into David's head, if you like, with a type of propaganda. And he said, David, listen, all God's people are gone. There's no faithful man left in the land. It's only you by yourself. And David starts to believe this. This is a shocking thing. And what he does next is the work of Satan. Now, David becomes discouraged within his soul. That's the first and foremost. And he begins to look at, at faithful, faithless men and women around him. And this was a mistake on David's part. If you begin to look upon ungodly men to find encouragement, church, you're in trouble. If you start to look at the faults of your brother, of your sister, you're in great trouble. You focus on yourself and you'll not be worried about your brother. You've enough here to work out, and I have enough here to work out without worrying about my brothers. 
Yes, we're to, we're to correct and we're to help, but we're never to judge, we're never to focus on. And David was looking on to the wrong type of encouragement. He'd taken his eyes off the God who, who slants, put Goliath on his face, who allowed him to take the, the lion by the throat. He'd gotten his eyes off this um, God. In verse 2, we see what, that, that David... As if he had sat like a great TV before his eyes, you like. And all he could see was the wickedness around him. And this began to influence him in, way, in the wrong way. It's like David was set before a big 52-inch flat screen. And what he was looking at was starting to influence his mind. And what did he see? Mass lion. It was, I was going to say it's like watching these standards, but I don't want to condemn you for the second time. Mass lion is all he could see. Now, what can you see in TV? Mass lion. People lie to one another. No one says what they mean and no one means what they say. Truth had fallen and what we watch, what we see in our screens, truth has fallen. There's no moral stuff to be taught. He noticed that men use flattery to get their way in life and not integrity. How did that ever happen? We used to employ people because of their work ethic, of their ability. Not because of their sexuality or their skin color or anything else like that. It's all a lie. We're being told lies. We, we don't use flattery to get our way. We, we use integrity. But all David could see was men using their flattery, using whatever they could to get their way in life. He observed men that spoke to each other with flattering lips and a double heart. Now, this is interesting. Because what does it mean to look on to people who've got double hearts? That's all David could see. A double heart is a double-minded person. Now, if you're taking notes and not reading about James 4 and, and verse 8, speaks about double-mindedness. And it says, a double-minded double man is unstable in all his ways. And this is what David was doing. He was looking towards unstable men and women instead of godly men and women. And that's what Satan wants to do. Did you ever notice when you're at your weakest, for all of a sudden he'll point your face to someone or something that isn't behaving right? Why is it when you, when you try to witness to somebody, they always bring up that one man who's a complete heretic, but he carries a Bible, and, and for some reason he's become our, our general, you see. Why is that? Because Satan's a great deceiver, and he doesn't point their, their eyes to their godly family or their godly friends. He points their eyes to the heretic up, up the road. And, and David got his eyes pointed on to those who were heretics, if you like. Now, the Hebrew dictionary helps us understand really what David meant when he spoke about double-minded uh, people. It says this, a double-minded person is a person who suffers from divided loyalties. On the one hand, he wishes to maintain a religious confession and desires the presence of God in his life. But on the other hand, he loves the ways of the world and prefers to live according to its ways and ethics. So there's an understanding of what David was saying this means that David was being influenced by a type of propaganda of liberal Christianity. You're seeing that today. Christians on TV whose lives don't look like the kingdom of God to me. But that's telling you that there is a way, there is a form, there is a Christianity that is accessible to all people and acceptable to all people. Now all he could see at this point was men and women who had a type of confession of faith. Now, this was Israel. These are God's people. Make no mistake, this was a nation of God's chosen people. And he was looking on to this people, and all he could see is that 
they had a confession. They went to the, 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 the temple, if you like, but they were living according to the world. And, and what David noticed was this way of living, this liberal Christianity, became infectious because they were copying each other. One person was doing this and the next person started it. And this fact's David's spirit. An unstable believer, church, has the power to discourage you. Be careful. Now, David was discouraged with unstableness around him. And his eyes had gotten on to the wrong thing. And I want to say this to you. If you want a role model in life, look to Christ. You'll not be disappointed. Look to him. He alone's perfect. But I also want to say there are many godly men and women around you that you can look to and glean from. There is. Just look. Don't go for the artist. Don't go for the one who can reach into the heavens the highest in a praise time. Look, there is steady, faithful men and women in this congregation this morning that you can glean from and, and learn from. But I want you to notice the power of satanic propaganda. Because David was the man who said, I was glad when they said to me, what did he say? Let us go up to the house of the Lord. This was his cry. Now he's saying, Lord, where are the faithful that once went up to the house of the Lord? Where is all the godly? Church, don't believe this when it comes into your mind or heart. God is alive and well and on the throne. Christ is still seated beside him and he's praying for you. That's what the truth says. He's interceding for you this morning, brother. Sister, you mightn't feel it, but the Bible tells that he's praying for you this morning. That's the God of the Bible. That's what it tells us. And it also tells that God's people are everywhere. And I want to bring this out. Now, Satan had got into his head, David's head, and he, get, he can get into your head too. And what Satan did to David, he also did to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 9. I don't want you to turn it for the sake of time, but write it down. Read it, do you see? Now, the story is quite simple. It's about Elijah and King Ahab, king of Israel, and they had a standoff. Ahab, who was meant to be the king of God's people, had a divided heart. He was an unstable man. And he too was influenced by the propaganda of his wife. We know the story, Jezebel. Wicked wife, we know that. We know that King Ahab and his wife led Israel into all sin in the Baal worship. But we also know that Elijah killed 450 prophets. I don't want to fill in all. There's too much time to fill it all in. Yeah, I'm assuming you know the story. He killed 450 false prophets of Baal in Mount Carmel. Now Ahab's wife, we know, became unhappy. And she sent word that she was going to kill Elijah for what he had done. Now Elijah had done a mighty deed. He'd proved God. He'd silenced the whole haste of, of false prophets. And this one voice come. This voice come. And Elijah got it into his head that he was going to die because this woman said she's going to kill him. He got it into his head that he was the only man left in the land. He was going to die at the hands of this woman. I want you to notice what happened with this propaganda. Elijah's God became very small all of a sudden. That's what it'll do. It'll become very small. And his faith vanished. We are told that Elijah ran for his life and he hid in the wilderness. This is the power of influence. He was so defeated, defeated in his mind and his spirit. You know what he asked the Lord to do? To kill him. To bring him home. That's what propaganda can do. Not only waken you, but the desire that you just die, curl up and go home. And that's the power of Satan's propaganda, that great deceiver of peoples. But listen, Elijah cries out to God, Lord, 
I am the only man left in the land. Now, that reminds us of something, doesn't it? It reminds us of David's cry, Lord, where's all the godly gone? I want you to notice in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah begins to repeat this lie a few times. He says, Lord, I am the only man left. Read down in Acts 3 verses, Lord, I am the only man left. Three times, Lord, I am the only man left. Remember Hitler's quote? Make the lie big. Make it simple. Keep saying it. It's not by chance. Keep saying it. And the people will eventually believe it. And what we see here is eventually David and Elijah began to believe the lie. And Satan is the deceiver of all peoples. But thank God that God's word is a lamp onto our feet, church, and a light onto our path. Because in 1 Kings 19 and 18, God speaks. And this is the bit I want to close out on. And this is what he says. He says, Elijah, don't believe the lie. Church, don't believe the lie. Whatever that is this morning, don't believe it. And God says something wonderful. He says, I have 7,000 men, you know, in Israel alone. Has never once bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. You might feel alone. The enemy's told you you're alone, but I have 700 faithful men never once bowed the knee to that idol. Hallelujah, church. In other words, Elijah, you're being deceived. My people are everywhere. Praise the Lord. Christian, you're not alone, and God's people are everywhere. I told you about that one mission they did there during the summer in England. 20,000 brethren joined together for a week of mission and, and, and ministry. And Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop me. So until the Lord removes his church, the church will continue to flourish and be a light among the darkness. All we need to be is faithful to his word. If we take on liberal Christianity, we're doomed. Liberal Christianity doesn't accept you or I the way it is. Or Christianity doesn't accept you and I the way we are. We've sinned against God. Simple as that. We've sinned. And we go in with our sin and say, oh, well, it's all right, God accepts me. We're lying to ourselves. And we're believing the propaganda of the day. So until the church goes, the church will be all right. But let us not look, ar- look around and wonder, where are they, all the godly? Where are all the faithful? What about, let us make sure when our neighbours, when the people of Monaghan look towards you and I, that they can say, well, there's the man. There's a woman of God. And that's something better to think about. There's a woman that's faithful to the Lord. That's what the world needs, and that's what the Bible ought to be, and that's what the church ought to be. Because I'm telling you, there's men and women in here that you'll find yourselves, if you're not saved, in a place where you'll be looking for help. You'll be crying out for help, and you'll be looking for God, and you'll not find him. And God will point your face to somebody who's faithful. Amen. Somebody who's godly and can help you. Let us focus more, church, on what we, what we are in Christ, not what the enemy would like us to be. And what we see in verse 7, you look at verse 7, David begins to think differently. God's truth begins to fill his, flow to, his soul again, and, and faith begins to rise up within him, because that's what God's word does. It strengthens the brother in the church. And in and, and verse 7, he says, Lord, you will keep your people. You preserve them from this generation forever. And David's eyes is back onto the Lord. And he starts reciting things. And 
And I want to recite to you some psalms that David wrote in his life. Psalm 121. But God will not allow your foot to slip, because he who keeps you will not slumber. Psalm 145. The Lord keeps all who love him. Psalm 37. He will never abandon the godly, but he will keep them safe forever. You see, that's the truth of God's word. And that counteracts the, the propaganda and the lies of Satan. Because truth will always cause the lie to leave in shame. It always exposes it for what it is. And God's truth exposes Satan's lies. Hallelujah. And I want to ask you this. Because I want to close with what we thought regarding the saved. And I want to ask you, are you saved today? Because listen, Psalm 32 is a word for the saved. Look, turn to your Bibles to Psalm 32. Five minutes, three minutes, and we're closed. I want to just get this into your heart. Because the people of God have a right to shout and be rejoiceful in what we are and who we are, what he's done. Psalm 32. What does it say in the first verse? What's the first word in your Bible, church? Blessed. Blessed. Not forsaken. Not abundant. Not left alone, but blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Now, Christian, you're not forsaken. You're blessed. Why are you blessed? Well, here's the thing. Now, listen to this. In Christ, we're told your transgressions have been forgiven. What's transgressions? Well, transgression has been described as willful rebellion against God. So we know what we're about to do is wrong, and we choose to do it anyway. We do it. We rebellion never is far away. But the Lord says, look, we're blessed in Christ because all our rebellion is forgiven. Maybe you hear this morning there's a wee bit of rebellion in your heart. You need to know that God loves you regardless. And as far as he's concerned, you're perfect and right in his eyes. And it's finished and it's taken away. Doesn't mean we don't deal with it, but in his eyes it's gone. Now the word forgive in the Greek is nasha. And it means to lift or to bear up or to take away. And this word portray, portrays a beautiful image that as sinners, we bear a very heavy burden of our sins. But when Christ forgives us, he lifts the burden of our sin up from us and he carries it away. Amen? So in Christ, our transgressions are forgiven and they're lifted from us. Then it says our sin is covered. Now, sin means literally to miss the mark. We know that. Therefore, a sin... A thought or a word or a deed that falls short of God's perfect standard of righteousness. Everything that we would have about us falls short. Just misses the mark. And when it comes to personal holiness, we simply miss the mark. It's true for you and I this very moment. We miss the mark. But in Christ, it's covered. That's why we're blessed. The word cover is kasha. And it means to conceal. So it means when, when you're saved, God takes your sin and it's concealed. It's to clothe it or to hide it from view. So in forgiving us, God covers our sins. And according to Psalm 103, they never will be seen again or cast off. That's where you're blessed. That's the truth of God's scripture. This is the stuff we need to fill our minds with. Now lastly, your iniquities are not counted. Now in the Bible, iniquity is a strange one. We just think sin, sin, but there's three categories. And the Bible iniquity is a type of sin that's linked to guilt. Guilt. It includes a, a, a conscious decision to hurt someone in our life from times past. 
Maybe you've wronged somebody this morning and you still carry that guilt. That's what, that's what iniquity is. We, we could be sitting here this morning and fully saved and looking back 30 years and going, I still regret what I did. You see, I've done something that I ought not to have done. And then things need to be confessed to the Lord, you know, by the way. But what the Lord's saying is these iniquities, these guilts, God doesn't count them the way we count them. Many believers carry a heavy burden of guilt. Just things that they did when their mind wasn't right years ago. They hurt people uh, before they got saved. And and too often I've come across these people and they're, they're fully saved, but they can't help but count their guilt. They can't help but bring it up. And you need to know this morning that if that's you, the Bible says you're blessed this morning. And you may count your iniquities, but you need to stop it. Because God says, I don't account them. That's why you're blessed. Does that make sense? You're blessed. You're forgiven. It's finished. You don't need to carry guilt. We need to put things right, but we don't need to carry guilt. And God says, all your iniquities, they're, they're not counted. They're forgiven. They're gone. And we're finished. Amen. Father, we just do thank you um, this morning for the truths of your word, God, and we could continue on and continue on and continue on with filling our minds with your truth, God, that, that, Lord, we're free. Lord, we're free. Lord, we're free. Lord, let us repeat that into our lives, Lord, and believe it, Lord, we're free. Lord, we're forgiven. We're forgiven. Well, Lord, we're forgiven. Lord, I pray for the brother or their sister here this morning, God, that carries that guilt in their life. God, that iniquities of times past, that, Lord, you would deliver them this morning in Jesus' name. That, Lord, we would be a people that would not allow that accuser of the brethren to influence us and constantly cast up in our past. But, Lord, we would be like David, God. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and the Lord forgive me of the iniquity of my sin. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, when a man or a woman confesses God, there's abundance of grace and grace and grace and mercy. Lord, may we all confess our sins before you, our iniquities before you, Lord, our transgressions before you this morning, so that we can leave here free men and free women in Christ. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray, Lord, for the man or woman who's not yet saved this morning, and they've been blinded by Satan's propaganda. There is no God. There is no sin. You have plenty of time to get saved. All these lies. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would move in these moments in Jesus' name. That, Lord, you would, Lord, navigate through, through these pews. That, Lord, you would touch each heart. You would quicken each spirit and strengthen each believer this morning, we pray. But, Lord, where a man or woman is set this morning, not yet saved, Father, we ask that, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin of your righteousness, Lord, and the common judgment, Lord, that we would see fruit, Lord, in this house this morning, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, be high and lifted up. Lord, may we not get our eyes on to the, the propaganda that's set before us. As the psalmist says, set not wickedness before thy eyes. Lord, would you, Lord, give us the discernment, God, to, Lord, discern what is being fed into our hearts fed into our homes, into our children's lives, God. Would you give us wisdom, we pray, in these days we acknowledge that this, this fallen Satan is not just a liar, but the father of them. 
But Lord, we thank you that, Lord God, in your name, God, we need not fear that, Lord, we, we are not outwitted by him because of your word. So, Lord, I pray you would bless each of us this morning. May we know what it is to be, to know that we're blessed and live as such, as free men and free women in Christ, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.